Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. Welcome to the Mike Smith Show podcast. This is your one-stop shop for all the latest happenings in BC. From breaking news and developing stories to giving the big headlines a closer look, the Mike Smith Show is here to keep you dialed in and up to date. Let's begin. Hey, good morning to you. This is Mike Smith, and we start today with the troubles at BC Ferries experiencing super high summer travel demand right now, and the system at times struggling to keep pace. Now, yesterday, the BC Ferries website displaying that wrong information for most of the day. The site at one point showing a 12-hour wait to sail without a reservation. BC Ferries now saying that information was wrong. Now, some people, though, sleeping in their cars when they get to the ferry terminal, if it's backed up and they can't get onto a ferry without a reservation. I've got Ferry Workers Union Eric McNeely standing by to discuss. Now, first, have a listen to this here, okay? You're going to hear a couple of senior citizens here here from Victoria, Colleen and Ron Gunther, and they showed up at the ferry terminal uh, on the island on Monday afternoon. We're told there were no sailings. Guess what? They had to sleep in their car overnight at the ferry terminal. They didn't have their medications with them. They had a rough night. Have a listen to this. It's not fair. We live on Vancouver Island. We could not get back home. There's nowhere to go. Let me assure you, we weren't the only ones. We talked to numerous people in the parking lot who were turned away. We even met them at other spots around. Uh, we had to go and get something to eat and this kind of thing. And we ran into other people who were going to be in the Walmart parking lot. And they were side of the road. Okay, as Colleen and Ron Gunther talking to Czech TV about their experience and on Monday. Let's discuss with my guest now, Eric McNeely. Eric is the president of the Ferry and Marine Workers Union at BC Ferries. I'm very pleased to welcome him. Eric, thanks a lot for coming on today. Hey, Mike. Thanks for having me. You bet. Thanks a lot for doing this. And I know there's a really interesting situation at BC Ferries right now with your contract and that wage reopener. And I definitely want to ask you about that. Eric, let me ask you, first of all, about the, some of the challenges we're seeing at BC Ferries right now, the wrong information on the website yesterday, some of these reports of people sleeping in their cars if they can't get on a ferry. How do you and your people uh, feel about that? It's got to be frustrating for your people. Absolutely. You know, we're uh, not only workers, we're travelers and residents of the area as well. And you listen to uh, to Colleen there and, uh, you know, I, I got a lot of empathy for that. You know, you look at a ferry system and you expect it to operate like a highway and that's sort of in the public interest. And when folks can't get home to get medications and, uh, you know, are unable to get reservations, whether that's because there's uh, no reservations left or the cost is uh, prohibitive for them, uh, that's a real problem. And you certainly wouldn't see that if you're traveling to Coquihalla. Have, yeah, for sure. I think that's a great point. This is supposed to be an extension of the highway system, after all, correct? That's my understanding. That's how we connect yeah. communities up and down the coast here. Right, right. So how often does that happen? Have you seen this happen before, like people who are blo- can't get on a ferry, they sleep in their car? Yeah, I mean, you can drive up to uh, terminals where there's uh, normal delays, and there's you know people either sleeping there in advance of uh, the first sailing or... Uh, have not been successful in getting on the last ceiling and they decide to sleep uh, outside the toll booths. Yeah. And, uh, you know, that's 
that's not how people want to travel, and certainly uh, it's not the expectation people have for the ferry system. Why is this happening right now? Can you put your finger on an explanation? I mean, this particular couple that were trapped there on, that was Monday afternoon. I mean, I can understand maybe on the Friday of a long weekend, but this is a Monday. Why is it happening? Well, I think one of the contributing factors this week, obviously, has been the fact that uh, the coastal celebration has been out, and that's yeah. one of the largest double-ended uh, ferries in the world. And with that capacity, you know, on a daily basis, you're looking at about 1,000 cars that wouldn't travel. Uh, and about 5,000 people if it's running quite full. So that's a lot of uh, extra pressure put on the remaining uh, vessels. But I think overall the reason this is occurring is, uh, you know, there's uh, investment that needed to occur over the past uh, number of decades into the ferry system that didn't always occur, and that some of that is coming home to roost. The other challenge, of course, is uh, staffing levels, and we've been talking about that for more than a year. And part of the problem there is if there isn't enough staff to fully crew a vessel, that vessel may be able to take uh, less than its full complement of passengers, meaning that a vessel that, say, could take 2,000 people may be able to take 1,200 instead, and that would increase additional pressure and, and potentially lead to people waiting or uh, sleeping in a vehicle. Yeah, and the explanation for that is that there are very strict federal reg- laws and regulations that require a certain ratio of, of, of staff on board the ship to the passengers, correct? That's correct, yeah. It's all yeah. based on the ability to safely unload the vessel in the event of an emergency. Yeah, yeah, okay, for sure. And now, by the way, this coastal celebration situation, this is one of the largest vessels in the fleet. It was out of commission earlier this year for repairs, put, put back into service. Then they had to put it into dry dock again for even more repairs. Eric, what is going on there? Well, uh, you know, the, the repair schedule is uh, sort of standardized. Vessels go in on a regular basis to ensure the maintenance is up to date. Uh, what uh, we're being told is uh, coming out of that refit that did cause some chaos over the Canada long weekend, uh, a new issue was uh, discovered, and that's why it's out of service right now. Uh, you know, what we've also heard from our members who work in the maintenance facility and the engineering departments is the time that they have and the resources they have available to do those uh, maintenance periods, those refits, and then do preventative maintenance checks before and after coming out of a refit session have been condensed a bit. And we think that may be uh, a contributing factor in some cases. And certainly, uh, you know, if there's more time and more skill sets available, then there's a, there's an ability to ensure less things uh, surprise you. However, uh, you know, there's a lot of stress on our, our members right now trying to get those vessels into, into shape uh, and get them on the, on the water. Well, okay, well, this is crucial. This is absolutely critical. So is this part of the, you mentioned that one of the problems here is that investments in the ferry service have, have not been made in the past. Is that, the, is that an example of what you're talking about, that what they should be investing more in, in repairing, repair and maintenance capacity? Yeah, so I think it's a combination. There's, uh, there's infrastructure investment and there's also people investment. It's great to have a shipyard. It's great to have uh, terminals. But if you're uh, not investing in the people who make that system work, who ensure that it continues to work, uh, that also has an impact. And you, you look at, you know, the, the sailing disruptions yesterday, you know, the, the computer and the machines, they'd said, oh, well, we got a nine sailing wait, 12-hour delay. Uh, best of luck to everyone. Uh, where you see the value of skilled, uh, experienced workforce is that they're able to uh, look at those, uh, you know, an algorithm from a computer and go, well, that doesn't actually make sense, and they can uh, look to fix that. And the example I would use or something, something I'd liken it to is I was at a major airport a while ago. There was a massive chaos and delay. Six hours we stood in line uh, waiting to get rebooked on flights. 
they had a shift change. Uh, it looked like more senior people from Air Canada came in. And within a couple hours, it was sorted out. So there's real value in having uh, good quality people. So that investment in both infrastructure, uh, time on maintenance of vessels, and as well as ensuring that you, the uh, organization is able to attract uh, the most skilled people they can yeah. and retain them. I'm speaking to Eric McNeely. He is the president of the union for ferry workers at, at BC Ferries. Eric, let me ask you about the situation with the contract. Now, there is a, a collective agreement in place right now, but as we've learned this week, there is a wage reopener clause in the contract. Has this clause been triggered? You guys are looking for a raise now. Is that right? Yeah, so in 2020, when we negotiated, um, we agreed that in April of 24 and April of 25, there would be wage and renegotiations. Over the past year, there's been a dramatic shift in uh, inflation and cost to members, and it was an opportunity for both BC Ferries and the union to come together and agree to do uh, one of those wage reopeners uh, effectively six months early. And I think that's in the public's interest, and I think it sets a good example for, for other folks where uh, wages may be outpaced by inflation for the parties to come together look at what they can do to maintain and retain people. How, how, what's the average salary at BC Ferries right now for the members of your union? How much are they making? Yeah, so the bulk of our membership working in terminal and catering are around $55,000 a year for a regular employee. 55000 And what kind of raise are you looking for right now, percentage-wise? Well, we're still, uh, we have an exchange packages with BC Ferries, so we're keeping those cards a little bit tight. But we certainly want to see our members be able to uh, not have to take up secondary income. And we did a survey of our members recently, and more than 51% of our members have secondary income uh, to supplement their wages. And, and some folks have said, hey, we're, we're looking at whether we should be moving to our secondary job and making that our primary. We're following it closely. Eric, thank you for your time today. I appreciate it. Thanks for the interest, Mike. All right, taking a look at the BC Ferries website here, it's showing all the sailings full this morning. First available sailing, 2 p.m. Is this true? Is this accurate information? Who knows? It wasn't right yesterday. Yesterday, it was showing a 12-hour wait to get on a ferry there if you didn't have a reservation. And now BC Ferries saying, oops, oh, no, that was wrong. We put up wrong information on the website all day long. Got Trevor Halford standing by to discuss. Have a listen to BC Ferry spokesperson here, Karen Johnson, explaining this uh, screw-up yesterday. Everything looks like it's sold out. This morning, however, we saw a large number of those with bookings not show up at the terminal for their sailing. So what actually transpired at Tawasin this morning was that most morning traffic was cleared by about 11 a.m. Oh, okay, yeah, so bl blame it on the passengers now. What, what do you expect from us if people don't show up for their reservations? So, of course, we're going to tell people you got to wait 12 hours on the website. <laughs> oh, man. I just wonder how many people changed their travel plans here yesterday because they believed what they were reading on the website. Let's check in with Trevor Halford now, BC United transportation critic in the legislature, MLA Surrey White Rock. Trevor, thank you for coming on. Thanks for having me, Mike. Well, what do you think of that that situation yesterday with the wrong, the so-called wrong information on the website? Oh man, okay, I actually don't even know where to start. Uh, it's <laughs> You know, the, the, the rationale that they put out yesterday was absolutely unacceptable. The fact is, is that they had mis misinformation up on the website. Uh, it was misleading. It was obviously inaccurate. And it didn't get fixed. It didn't get rectified. Yeah. Um, it was up there for hours. And then they say, well, actually, just follow us on Twitter and just rely on the Twitter information. Yeah. So that is completely unacceptable. We've had instances in the last couple of days where we've had senior citizens 
an 80 year old couple that were sleeping in the car to catch the next ferry the next day. Um, So I think we have a serious problem here. And the fact that they can't even manage a website uh, is very, very alarming. Yeah, we heard from that senior citizen couple there, Colleen and Ron Gunther, and they had to sleep overnight in their car because they sh- they showed up at the Tuasin Ferry Terminal in, in Monday afternoon, and were told there was nothing. They couldn't. They there was nothing for them, so they slept in their car. They had a rough night. They that didn't have their meds with them, and and they said they weren't the only ones. They said they met lots of other people who were doing the same thing. Are you hearing similar stories? Absolutely, families uh, that are coming over, travelers um, that you know don't understand the reservation system or, or aren't, aren't checking the website. And if they are, it's, it's probably not reliable at this point, but yeah, it's absolutely chaos over there right now. And uh, you know, this is a time where we need some leadership and it's one thing to hear from BC ferries, but I have not heard from the minister of transportation on this and I have not heard from the premier. The last thing we heard from the premier a couple of weeks ago was that this was unacceptable in that time. It's gotten worse, not better. Yeah, and I, I haven't heard, uh, where's Nicholas Jimenez, the president of BC Ferries? I haven't heard from him. Where's Joy McPhail, chair of the board of BC Ferries? Right. These people are invisible right now. Right. So What's that? everybody that should be speaking up on this file is MIA. And that yeah. is completely unacceptable when you have the situation like the couple that we just talked about, when we have families that are sleeping, when people are changing their, uh, changing their travel plans based on information that they're getting off a website. Now, it's, it's 2023. You can correct the website if it needs to go down for maintenance. I understand that. But when you have misinformation up there for hours at a time that is affecting people's travel, um, I think that we've got some, you know, systemic problems over at BC Ferries. And, uh, you know, I am actually really feeling for the staff that are having to go through this day in and day out that are, you know, manning the ticket booths, that are working the ferries because they're doing the best job they can. Um, but they are not being supported by their leadership or their government at this point. Do you, do you have confidence in the, the repair and maintenance system that they have in place there? Because we've got one of the largest vessels in the entire fleet, the Coastal Celebration, is out for repairs again. So this is the second time this has happened. And I just spoke to the president of the Ferry Workers Union, who says that uh, he his the people he represents in the maintenance department saying that they've, they've not, they're not maintaining the vessels properly. There's not enough capacity there to repair and maintain these vessels. Well, that, that's troublesome, and I'm, I'm, you know, I'll take his word for that. Uh, you know, he's you know, obviously leading from the front, but you know, I'll tell you this. is One of the questions that hasn't got answered is when we're talking about the Coastal Celebration, and the fact is, is that it went in for its retrofit, which is understandable, but what I do not understand is why do we do that in, on June 15th? You know, when you take your car in for its annual checkup or repairs, you, you sometimes think, okay, there could be something else they find, and it could take longer. So why would we do that, um, you know, going into one of our busiest long weekends like we did Canada yeah. Day and then yeah. have that ship unavailable? Nobody's been able to answer that question yet. Yeah, no, it's, it's, this is the peak travel period right now. It's the worst possible time to have this particular ship out of commission. What needs to happen right now? Like, what, what do you think is, is job one here? We just got 30 seconds left here. What do you want to see? Leadership. Leadership. Where, where is Joy McPhail, right? Yeah. Where is David Eby? Where is Rob Fleming? They are all MIA, and they are leaving it on the backs of these workers uh, and on the backs of travelers. It's completely unacceptable. One of them needs to step up and actually lead this file. Trevor, thank you for coming on. Thanks, Mike. 
Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. All right, let's talk about the new car market now with my guest, Zach Spencer, automotive journalist. You should absolutely check out his YouTube channel, Motor Mouth Canada. Nearly 300,000 subscribers on there now. Awesome content there. Zach, thank you for coming on today. Anytime, Mike. I appreciate it a lot. Hey, Zach, let's start with this story that's got a lot of attention here this week. And uh, this was the report out of the United States by Cox Automotive about the backlog of unsold electric vehicles on lots in the United States. It says it is going up 350 percent to 92,000 units in June, which is about nearly twice the industry average there. What is going on there? Is that happening here in Canada too, these unsold EVs? Not hearing about it as much here. And, And one of the reasons is there's a lot of things happening in the United States all at once. We all know interest rates are high and they're probably going uh, just a little bit higher in the next few months. So if you're going to go and take out a loan or a lease for an all new electric car, and by the way, most electric cars are really quite expensive. So those payments have gone up a lot because people just can't afford the vehicles. But in addition to that, you have the major player in the electric car industry dropping their prices, the opposite of what most other brands are doing, dropping their prices by up to $20,000. That's Tesla. So they've dropped the prices of their mainline cars. So that's the Model 3 and the Model Y. In addition to that, they now qualify for the $7,500 federal tax credit in the United States, thanks to the new Inflation Reduction Act. So you have the main player, the first-to-market advantage leader, totally dominating sales and dropping prices. So the poor people that bought Teslas over the last couple of years at elevated prices, their used car values have absolutely been crushed. Uh, Values of electric vehicles in the United States have dropped by about 30% in a year. And that means that people now, with those dollars, can go and shop for a used vehicle at a, a greatly reduced price compared to, say, a year ago. So I think it's, a, it's I think people are really quite practical and they're pragmatic and they're like, this is how much money we have to spend a month to get a car. We're thinking of getting an electric car. Hey, why don't we buy a two-year-old Tesla or a Hyundai or whatever and we'll get it at a greatly reduced price because interest rates are so high, that's the best use of our money. Okay, that's a very interesting situation that you described there, Zach. And, and also the ticket price, the sticker price for a, a new electric vehicle. As you mentioned, these are expensive vehicles. Is an electric vehicle typically more expensive than a, a gas-powered vehicle these days? A lot more expensive. And yeah. uh, the interesting thing is that, you know, the last time I was on, uh, Mike, about a month or so ago, I talked about I'm not a big fan of incentives. Let the market figure it out. And we're starting to see that happen anyway. Tesla has dropped their prices um, dramatically. On top of that, because they are now going to be producing their uh, cyber truck, their electric pickup truck um, in the next few months, 
Uh, Ford has dropped the price of their F-150 Lightning, the electric pickup. They've dropped the price of their Mach-E electric uh, SUV. So the market is reacting to these new lower prices from Tesla. So what I always wonder is why do you need to incentivize an industry that can already figure it out based on market conditions. And I think the market will uh, figure it's, figure this out for the automakers. People will decide for them. So one, another thing that's happening in the United States and why vehicles aren't being sold is vehicles that are made offshore no longer qualify for the $7,500 rebate. Because they're not produced in North America or the battery isn't sourced in North America. So that really impacts uh, major electric brands like Hyundai and Kia. So their cars are no longer qualified. Once again, this skews the market when you throw in rebates. And it really is advantage Tesla, and it's going to be advantage General Motors when they un- they start rolling out. Uh, General Motors, for people that are not aware, is at the very beginning of a massive EV push. We're going to see it this fall into the winter and into next year. They're going to have mainline vehicles that are electrified, the Chevy Blazer. The Chevy Equinox just announced this week they're bringing back the Chevy Bolt, but the next generation model. These are going to be mainline cars, and General Motors claims that they're going to be affordable for average consumers, plus they also qualify for the $7,500 tax credit in the United States. So it's going to be interesting to see how how those big players in the U.S. uh, work it out. Speaking of Zach Spencer, Motormouth Canada on YouTube. And when we take a look at those interest rates, you touched briefly on the Zach with interest rates going up, up, up. How does that impact the new vehicle market? Because obviously it's, it's more expensive to get a car loan now, right? Interestingly, in the Canadian market, we are seeing very strong and robust vehicle sales. This is all, I think, because it's falling on um, the, the shortages we had over the last few years, COVID, people delaying buying vehicles. Um, uh, my friend Dennis DeRosier of DeRosier and Associates uh, put it perfectly. He says, I look at a vehicle as a bucket of kilometers. And when the bucket starts to get low and the vehicle has high kilometers or mileage, you need to replace it. So cars have a lifespan. Sure, they're much longer than they used to be, but some people will just need to replace their vehicles. Some people have been delaying buying, and then we have this huge pent-up demand because you just couldn't get a car. So um, I think that we're going to start to see uh, maybe things improve next year if interest rates start to come down, but they're still really quite strong in Canada. What kind of deals can you get on an auto loan these days? Like if you go onto a dealership lot and you say you want to finance the vehicle, what kind of deals are out there? So the, there really isn't a lot in the way of incentives for new vehicles because of the yeah. shortage. The domestic brands seem to have the most incentives in play right now. So these are the overproduced vehicles because there was a shortage during uh, COVID in the last few years. They produce a lot of full-size pickups. It's just good news because full-size pickups are still the best sellers in Canada. So you think of Ram, you think of Chevrolet, General, uh, GMC, and Ford. There's a lot of those vehicles on dealer lots. They, the way you save money is they discount the interest uh, cost. So you can often go online, you might even hear them here on uh, NW, where, where they'll say there's a reduced interest rate. That's where you're going to save money. On top of that, some brands are offering rebates. I've seen Stellantis, that's uh, formerly Chrysler, with Ram pickup truck and Jeep. Jeeps are a, a place you can look if you're looking for a deal right now. They seem to have inventory. So um, the domestic brands uh, have really upped their output, 
and uh, there's good inventory of those vehicles. Hey, Zach, speaking of domestic versus foreign-made vehicles, I was talking to a buddy of mine yesterday. He actually showed me his new Toyota RAV4 plug-in hybrid, and he was really, really happy with it. Nice-looking vehicle, and I was quite interested because our family was thinking about maybe taking a look at the same vehicle. So a RAV4 plug-in hybrid, and he's in, he loves it. He told me that he was speaking to one of his mechanic friends who told him that he made the right call because the best, the most reliable vehicles are Toyotas and Hondas, basically the big two Japanese makers. And he said those are better and more reliable than domestic-made vehicles in North America and also better than German-made vehicles. Do you agree with that assessment? Okay, before I answer the question, what I want to know from you, Mike, is how did he get that that car? Because that is the one vehicle that is on like a two, two, three-year wait list. So did he put his name down two years ago for it? Do you know? Yes, yes, (laughs) yes. He was on a long wait list, and he finally got the vehicle, yeah. Okay, good, good. Yeah, Yeah, a great choice. By the way, that's the plug-in hybrid to beat in the market, so an excellent choice. Listen, uh, every uh, every vehicle brand has issues. They're, if you go to the back of a dealership, they're all being worked on. It's just some are more prone than others. So you have to look at brands that have a great track record over time. And I would agree with the mechanic. Toyota is one brand that has um, uh, over-indexed in quality for many, many decades. They have incredible resale value they, because they've earned it, right? Yeah. Honda is a very trustworthy brand. But in the last few years, we're starting to see some issues with some Honda vehicles that wasn't typical over the last several decades. They were, they were like Toyota. They were kind of bulletproof. But we're starting to see a few creaks and cracks. And, and there are some brands that are improving quality. A lot of people don't like to hear this. They don't believe it. I keep telling them the studies state over and over and over. But General Motors is a brand, as a company, has brands that are over-indexing the industry average when it comes to quality. Buick is a brand that has been near the top of quality scores for about a decade now. Chevrolet and, um, and, um, Chevrolet and Cadillac also index above the industry average, and they have been for the last few years. So what, what a lot of people do is they just put vehicles in a bucket, like the mechanic and say, don't buy a a domestic vehicle. But if you wanted to go and buy a a pickup truck by a domestic manufacturer, they're all pretty reliable. All right, my guest is Zach Spencer, Motormouth Canada on YouTube. Star 9898 is the number to call on your cell. Steve in Penticton. Hi, Steve, go ahead. Hey, how you doing? Thanks for taking my call. Say, um, everybody's a genius when they buy a car, and I'm I'm no different. Yeah. But um, a couple of years ago, I bought a Ford C-Max hybrid and right. not a commonly known car in Canada, but I think they're, they're more of a European Ford. And I'm, I'm telling you, I'm, I'm just so happy with it. I get a thousand kilometers to a tank um, wow. and it's not a plug. I don't have to plug it in. Um, anyways, uh, yeah, really happy. With, and it also flat toes. So I have an RV and it flat toes behind my RV uh, without okay. any issues any issues at all so uh yeah okay i've never even heard of that vehicle i'm just googling it here zach while we're speaking the ford c max are you familiar with that one yeah not the prettiest girl at the dance but a very <laughs> fuel efficient uh vehicle uh we actually had a test drive we were in la and we drove uh, with the family up to palm springs and back 
And we were blown away as well by the fuel economy. It's a hybrid. One of the things is a lot of people only think of Toyota when it comes to hybrids, and rightfully so. They've earned that reputation for producing way more than anybody else. Ford was early to the game, too. Uh, the C-Max is a perfect example of that. And a lot of um, people overlook some of their very fuel-efficient, like the most fuel-efficient hybrid compact SUV is actually the Ford Escape. It's not mm. the, uh, the RAV4. So um, it, there's another one. If you're looking for a, an efficient uh, compact utility, the, the Ford dealer seems to have some inventory on those. Yeah. Joe in Vancouver. Hi, Joe. Go ahead. Yeah, hi. Thanks for taking my call. Um, I, I work for, um, I work for uh, BCA as a fleet tech. Uh, so we get to see all these vehicles that uh, break down. Um, and I got to agree, the, uh, the foreign cars don't break down as much as the domestics that we see. But number one and number two is Mercedes-Benz and BMW. They're breaking down all the time. And ever since we had this hot weather, all we've been dealing with with those cars is overheating problems. So it's very interesting with that. But, I, you know, I think but personally, it is, uh, imports are definitely less, less of a problem than the, uh, than the domestics. Okay, Joe, thank you for that. It's good to get your perspective on it on the front lines there. Zach, what do you think of that? Well, I'd love to hear from the caller if he's not gone to the age of these cars. The one thing you've got to remember, if you're a BCAA person, you're getting called out, how old are the cars? So the one thing I would say is a lot of the prejudices that we formed about vehicle brands have been built over decades and then you, you have to look at vehicle brands can change. BMW is notorious for um, using plastic parts in their um, uh, cooling system. Uh, their upper and lower rad hoses will break and they just, uh, the clutch, uh, the fan clutches will go. I mean, uh, I've owned many BMWs and I know the pain, but uh, if you maintain the vehicles and you get them checked regularly and you invest in them, uh, they can be quite reliable. I've owned many uh, German cars and uh, to be honest with you, they're some of the most reliable vehicles I'll ever, I've ever had. Okay, Joe, thank you for the call. Bill in Surrey. Hi, Bill, go ahead. Yeah, hi there. I just want to tell you about uh, uh, my car. I've had it, uh, 2006 Hyundai Azera. I bought it brand new, 17 years old now. Best car I ever had. It, it, had, it was the car of the year uh, in uh, Los Angeles Car Show in 2006. Got all kinds of features on it that new cars now have. Um, it, it's, it's just been the best car. I took it uh, about two months ago, took it in, and I told the guy, I'm 85 years old, actually. I told the guy, uh, this is going to be my last car. I'd like you to do anything that it needs, pay for it, fix it up. Uh, it did that, <laughs> changed the front end, all that kind of stuff, uh, and it's just the best car I've ever, ever had, a Hyundai Azera 2006. Okay, Bill, thank you for that. I hope it's not the last car, man. I hope you're going to have to buy an uh, upgrade to another one because you live li such a, a happy, long life. Okay, Zach, what do you think? of the Hyundai's interesting. What do you think of them? Well, they have had their share of problems. Hyundai Kia or the Hyundai Group, Hyundai Kia, um, have had uh, engine issues over uh, many years with engines failing and them paying to replace them. The good news is they stand behind it and they replace the engines. So you got to remember that the uh, same thing I just mentioned. A lot like this is a 2006. This is uh, quite an old car now, uh, and yeah. it's good news that it's been running well. 
Um, but car companies are always evolving and changing. So the new batches of vehicles from Hyundai and Kia have proven to be really quite reliable. In fact, if you look at quality scores, um, they're right near the very top when it comes to their three-year dependability. So uh, J.D. Power does a study where they follow vehicles for the first three years of ownership. After three years, then it falls on the owner for um, how they maintain the car. But the first three years of ownership, those vehicles index way above the industry average. So I'm glad he has a car that's running well. Keep driving it and, uh, and, and enjoy it. Let's talk about the sky-high rents right across Metro Vancouver. Now, it costs a fortune to try and find a decent, affordable place to rent in the region, and we've talked a lot about this on the show. Even if you have a decent and a good-paying job, it is difficult to find a place that a lot of people can afford. Now, check out some of these new numbers. This These numbers just out from rentals.ca, a one-bedroom in the city of Vancouver, Close to 3000 a month. Are you kidding me? Who can afford this now? Not a lot of people. Have a listen to Carl Eaton here. Now, he was a guest on the show here recently. Now, Carl uh, lives, grew up in Vancouver. He's got a good job, okay? So he works for TELUS. He makes close to $75,000 a year uh, working there. He's got an 18-year-old son. He is a single dad. So he is looking for a two-bedroom apartment anywhere in Metro Vancouver. He says, look, I've looked everywhere. It's He, he can't find any place he can afford. Have a listen. Uh, How much are the well, rents I, that you're seeing? So I've looked all the way as far as Coquitlam. And it's 2400 to 3400 for a two-bedroom. 2400 How Can you afford that? No, I cannot. No, I cannot. After all the deductions uh, said and done on my... Uh, out of my pay, I guess I could stop putting into an RSP and stop saving for my future. But all said and done, I make about fifteen to sixteen hundred dollars a paycheck. Okay, now I have been texting with Carl here the last few days, and that interview was a couple of weeks ago, and he said he has seen the rent seem to go up even higher since then. So twenty four hundred for a two bedroom actually might look like a bargain now, because he says it almost seems like the rents are going up on nearly a, a daily basis across metro vancouver let's discuss it now with my guest giacomo lattice content director rentals.ca giacomo thank you for coming on today thank you mike happy to be here i appreciate it a lot okay let's talk about some of these numbers here in your latest report so let's break it down uh, in vancouver so tell me about vancouver what kind of rents are you seeing in vancouver right now Right. So maybe at the time you don't want to be number one, but Vancouver has topped our list and it's actually broken all time high as the most expensive city in Canada to rent a one bedroom apartment at just shy of $3,000 for a one bedroom. Uh, It's a little bit unbelievable to think about that, but a two bedroom is just shy of $4,000 a month. A two bedroom apartment in Vancouver, $4,000 a month. I mean, have you ever seen numbers like that before at rentals.ca? In fact, Canada's never seen uh, numbers like this before. So this uh, every month we seem to become like a new historic high, um, and it reflects just on our past monthly report. And what else is interesting, too, is for the first time ever, uh, Toronto isn't even number two anymore. The second most expensive city in Canada for one bedroom is now Burnaby. So, you know, we can say one and number two are both BC slots there. Okay, number one and number two. Okay, let's take a look at Burnaby. What kind of rents are you seeing in Burnaby? Well, for Burnaby, a one-bedroom apartment will 
get you around $2,600, which is a 27% increase year over year. And for a two-bedroom, it's $3,300. So it's about $600 less a month as opposed to Vancouver, but it's still obviously an astronomical price. Okay, second highest in the country behind only Vancouver. Very dubious distinction for us for sure. What about elsewhere in in the region? Like, let's take a look at at Surrey or or some of these other municipalities in, in the region. Giacomo, what are you seeing? Sure. So Surrey ranks 14th on our list. Um, a one-bedroom apartment out in Surrey is uh, $1,900. So we're we're getting to a little bit more affordable there, but a two-bedroom in Surrey will cost you about $2,500. Yeah. Um, at Coquitlam, we're looking at $2,700 is the average rent for Coquitlam, which is a year-over-year increase of 10%. So, you know, no matter where you're going, it, it's quite high. Yeah, what about going further out? Like if you start going out to some of the Tri-Cities, well, you already talked about Coquitlam, I don't know, North Shore, elsewhere out into the valley. Like does it start to moderate anywhere if you get further out? North Vancouver and the surrounding areas, you know, it's the prices are kind of right up there what we're seeing with Vancouver. Yeah. Um, I wish I could say that, you know, it, it's not anymore just the city is what it is and everything else out is uh, much more affordable. We're starting to really to see that increased rent across you know, across the metro area. Yeah. Are, are you seeing this in other cities in Canada as well? I mean, is this a is this a national trend that you're seeing? Oh, we're definitely seeing it the most in, in Van, uh, Vancouver and Toronto. Like Toronto, for example, if you want to make a comparison, yeah. uh, one-bedroom apartment has been a 14% increase year over year, when Vancouver is an 18%. So Vancouver is more, but it's still kind of the same ballpark. But we're seeing, we're seeing the same things. Um, kind of nationwide, you know, rent's only going up and it, it seems to be the same across the whole country. Yeah. And what kind of like, so when people go on rentals.ca, what sort of options and, and search up parameters do you have on there? If they, people are desperate to find a place. I mean, are there, are there any ways to find something that's more reasonable in the region or are you starting to hear people who are looking further out, maybe giving up and moving out of the, out of Metro Vancouver? Well, what we try to do at rentals.ca is the rent's going to be really expensive. It seems to matter where you go, especially in BC. So we try to have as many different filter options as you can. So if you are going to pay those high prices, you're getting a place that has kind of everything you're looking for, whether that's a pet-friendly apartment, somewhere with a dishwasher, you know, what kind of amenities you're looking for, right? If you're going to be paying these astronomical rents, you at least want to have a, a place where you feel comfortable with and you're happy with, you know, where you're going to be living. Uh, we do have our interactive map search there, which kind of gives you an idea of, you know, exactly picking where you want to live so you kind of see what the price ranges are depending on, on neighborhoods um, so they can kind of get more of like an overall view of, of what's available across the city you're looking for or even the province when you take a look at what about the availability now because i imagine that even with the sky high prices here the vacancy rate continues to be low is that what you're seeing if we're going to stick with Vancouver, the vacancy rate has only gone down. We are now under a 1% vacancy rate. I believe it's about 0.9% vacancy um, as opposed to last year, which was 1.1. So it wasn't that great last year, but it is going down. There's tons of reasons why this is the case, but you know, it just shows that there truly is a discrepancy between supply and demand. Okay. Uh, Giacomo, thank you for coming on with your thoughts and analysis on it today. Pleasure being here, Mike. Thanks so much. Okay, we're talking about the sky-high rents all across Metro Vancouver. Let's check in with Melanie McDermott now. Melanie is a single mom who's looking for an affordable place for her family. Melanie, thank you for coming on today. Hi, Mike. Thanks for having me. 
You bet. Thanks a lot. I know you're you're a busy a busy mommy. We got four kids, right? Yes, I have four kids. Okay, that that's wonderful. Now, tell me about your situation here. Now you're looking for a place for yourself and your kids, right? Yeah, so we've been living in North Vancouver for probably, I'd say, the last nine years. My oldest is 12, and he started uh, preschool at the Waldorf School in Lynn Valley, and he's still there going into grade six. So part of the reason I'm trying to stay in the neighborhood is because of his stability and remaining at the same school. So we're honestly looking for a three-bedroom in the Lynn Valley area. I have four kids. Three bedrooms still isn't quite enough space, but it's enough to work temporarily. We were living in a two-bedroom, actually up until the end of June, and um, the owners sold it, so we had to move out, and we've been staying with our neighbors, actually, over summer, because I couldn't find anything fast enough that was within my standard budget, so we've been staying with the neighbor, and I'm hoping to have something lined up and figured out for September. I think I'm getting close, but it's been really hard just because the prices have increased so much from what we were paying before. We were paying 2700 for a two-bedroom, and now the three bedrooms are starting at a minimum of 4000 upwards. Oh. Like I've even seen 7000 for a house with oh. three or four bedrooms in oh North Vancouver. Wow. So it's a big jump and it's been just tricky to try to figure out where to come up with the extra money. So Okay, you don't I've have done, that kind of, you like, can't can you afford that? Well, I've, you know, dropped the daycare for the summer, no summer camps. I'm just trying to spend less on the kids where I normally would invest in activities and extracurriculars for them and not doing that this summer and um, I'm also not working I'm on leave of absence still because my youngest is only 15 months old so I'm not back to work yet so I'm on a restricted budget in a sense for sure so um, yeah it's been it's been challenging because I don't really want to move out of the north Vancouver area if I don't have to because it's just more destabilizing for the kids and it's their community their family their friends their school so it's it's important to me to try to make it work. Yeah, of course. And well, that's a tough spot you're in there, Melly, for sure. And mm-hmm. when you take a look at the rents that are out there, like I've talked to people who said that these rents seem to be rising. It seems like they're almost going up higher every every day. Is that what you're seeing? Yeah, even for sure. Like one place I was looking at was 4000 um, when I was putting in an application for, I think, August. But then I thought, you know what, I should probably wait because I have this place to stay until September to see if I can find something more affordable than just jumping into 4000 which is still the bottom of the you know, threshold, which I've seen, but the guy told me, the property manager, that in September they were going to be putting it up another $500 just because they can. So one month was jumping up 500 from 4000 to 4500 And that's just the base rent. You still need to pay for your parking spot, your storage, obviously all your utilities. And if you have a pet, which we do, we have a dog, you have to pay double the deposit. So that first month just to get in is like eight to $9,000 just to secure the apartment. So... Oh my goodness! What are you going to, what are you going to do? Well, I've, I was actually interviewed by CTV News uh, last was it two weeks ago, so I've gotten yeah. quite a few leads through that. I've been looking on the marketplace on Craigslist. I'm part of the North Vancouver Rentals Facebook group, so the community here has sort of stepped up and has been sending me leads. And people have offered to do reduced rents for a family, you know. So I, I think I'm getting closer. And I actually found a a new development by Mosaic that's going in in Lynn Valley. And I think they have 30% allocation of the building for affordable housing units. So mm. that would come at a reduced rent, probably comparable to what I was paying for a three bedroom. So I just have to go through that process to see if my income qualifies. Cause I'm in a 
strange spot with income because I typically earn more than I am right now, but I'm not actually receiving that money. I have higher projected future income, but I'm not actually receiving that right now. So I have to see if my current income and my last three-year average qualifies for their, their limit. Melanie, I wish you all the best. Thank you very much for sharing your story. That's a beautiful young family you have there, and I hope everything works out for you. Thanks for coming on today. Yeah, thank you so much for talking to me. You bet. Thank you. Melanie McDermott there on the North Shore. Four kids. She's a single mom, and she's looking for a place to rent. As you heard her describe, it is very, very expensive. Let's uh, squeeze in a couple of calls here while we can. And that's just the typical story. I mean, I've heard a ton of stories like this, people in the same boat. Tim in Kamloops. Hi, Tim. What do you think? Well, here's what I think cities like the, or in places in the lower mainland, anything west of Hope, and this is going to happen east of Hope. What the government should do, and even the private sector should put up signs saying, listen, if you're part of the working poor or working class, don't bother coming here. You need to make more than $100,000 to live in the lower mainland. And if you don't, too bad, so sad, suck it up, buttercup. Don't move here. We don't want poor people living in our neighborhood. Why don't they just put a sign or say that? Well, maybe that's, uh, thank you for that. Well, maybe there is almost an effectively a sign like that because I've talked to lots of people who are making less than six-figure salary, but they're still making good bread. They're still making good money and they can't afford it either. And they, and sometimes this is what they call the missing middle, right? Like you've got a, like a middle income or a high middle income and you can't, you don't qualify for any kind of subsidized or social housing because you make too much money, but you don't make enough money to afford what's out there. Brent in Victoria. Hi, Brent. What do you think? Um, hi, Mike. Uh, thanks for taking my call. Sure. Um, like, I grew up in Langley uh, in the Fraser Valley. Uh, I'm in my 50s. Uh, you know, I don't want to give my age, but, you know, I grew up there since I was a little toddler, right? And so I knew every, I knew the whole community and I got priced out. Like, I, I had to move. Uh, I mean, you know, you know who I am. And I mean, I live in Victoria. Um, it's not the place. I mean, it's a beautiful place, but my hometown is Langley. And I'd love to move back, Mike, but I just can't afford to these these rents. Or I, I was just kind of I was on hold. I was just kind of googling and looking, and twenty one fifty for a two bedroom for an old place they built way before like, in the nineteen sixties. A brand new one's like twenty seven fifty. Yeah. I mean they're getting up there, and then then of course now there's the waiting list. There, you mm. know that's what uh, you know people are not aware of. Like there's massive amount of people. On to get one unit, and if your income okay. doesn't qualify, like you're on a fixed income, you're hooped. I mean, I, you know, especially like people who are making six figure or even higher salary, and they can't afford to live there. Um, That's it. That's the thing, Brent. Thank you for the call. There are people with good jobs, good paying jobs, and they're still struggling. Thanks for listening to the Mike Smith Show podcast. Can't wait for the latest episode to drop. Tune into the show live from 9 to noon on 980 CKNW. Want to reach out to me personally with a question or comment? Send me an email, mike at cknw.com. Thanks again for listening.